This year on the Little Wireless Program, we've been uh, looking at some of the legacies of nuclear testing in Australia, in the Montebellos, in America, in New Mexico and Nevada, and today we'll be looking at the Pacific. There were 315 atmospheric and uh, underground tests detonated in the Pacific between 1946 and 1996. They were conducted by America, Britain and France, and uh, while the tests ended almost 30 years ago, the effects are still being felt in the region. Nick McLennan is a journalist in the Pacific Islands. He's the correspondent for Island Business Magazine and the author of Grappling with the Bomb, a history of British nuclear testing in Kiribati. And uh, he joins us now on the line as he heads off to the Pacific Island Forum in the Cook Islands, a a significant location where the Treaty of Rarotonga was signed in 1985, declaring the Pacific a nuclear-free zone. Despite that, of course, the last bomb was detonated in 1996 by the French. Welcome to LNL. Nick, uh, give us a brief overview of the huge number of tests that were done in the Pacific by the three nuclear nations. Thanks, Philip. It's a a pleasure to chat. Um, Yeah, as you said, uh, in the second half of the 20th century, um, the three Western powers, uh, the United States, Britain and France, conducted nuclear tests at 10 sites across Oceania, uh, three within Australia, uh, uh, and... uh, also sites in uh, the Marshall Islands, in Kiribati, and in French Polynesia. The testing was allowed to happen starting in 1946 and continuing, as you say, till the last French test in January 1996 because these areas were under colonial administration and they were perceived as vast empty spaces, um, but of course they weren't. There were thousands and thousands of uh, civilian and military personnel who staffed the test sites at Bikini, at Eniwitok, at Mururoa, Fungatofa, Christmas and Malden Islands. But there are also neighbouring Indigenous communities, and many of those uh, communities are still living with the legacies of radioactive fallout that impacted both health and environment. I'm particularly concerned by the Marshall Islanders, they were completely unaware, were they not, of the dangers? Yeah, in 1946, uh, people on Bikini Atoll were asked to relocate for the so-called good of mankind. Um, There were um, significant um, impacts for uh, people living in the northern atolls of the Marshall Islands, which is a Micronesian nation spread out over more than 20 atolls across the Central Pacific. Um, There were 67 atomic and hydrogen bomb tests um, in the late 1940s and early 1950s. And one test in particular, uh, the Bravo test, the codename for an atmospheric hydrogen bomb test in uh, March 1954, spread radioactive fallout across many atolls um, in uh, this Micronesian nation. People may have heard of the Japanese fishing boat, the Lucky Dragon, uh, which were with the crew irradiated by fallout from this test. And um, it's caused problems ever since. Now, the Marshall Islands is seeking compensation from the US 
from the ongoing legacy of the tests. Any success? A bit, but not enough. Um, You know, in the time the tests were conducted in the 1940s and 50s, the US Navy administered uh, a strategic trusteeship over those islands in central Micronesia. Marshall Islands uh, moved to self-government in 1986 under an agreement known as the Compact of Free Association. That's a a treaty with the United States um, that uh, set out a a new relationship uh, with funding around all sorts of development areas, but also had provisions for a trust fund um, where Marshallese could uh, receive compensation for the adverse effects of nuclear testing. But that trust fund, set up in 1986, um, didn't have enough money. Um, A nuclear claims tribunal was set up. uh, Judges held hearings over nearly two decades and allocated $2.3 billion worth of compensation for uh, health uh, uh, problems, uh, personal injury, damage to property, and so on. Unfortunately, the trust fund didn't have that much money in it, and uh, the Marshall Islands has been campaigning ever since uh, 2000 to say that uh, they should receive more compensation from the United States. Nick, is it um, correct that the agreement signed back way back in 1985 is up for renegotiation? Indeed. Um, the compact has been reviewed, um, and uh, a, an agreement has just been uh, come to in the last uh, few weeks between uh, a US negotiator, Joseph Yun, and uh, the Marshall Islands government. Um, It's a very contentious issue and has been, in fact, dragging on for some time because the Marshall's uh, government and people want more compensation related to these devastating uh, long-term health impacts um, that still uh, uh, plague many people uh, in the atolls of the Marshall Islands. Um, The other problem is... Uh, the money that's been pledged isn't on the table because uh, anyone following the news will know that the US Congress is in chaos uh, with the unprecedented sacking of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, significant delays in funding uh, um, that the Biden administration's called for. It's a mess. And uh, once again, the people are at the receiving end of uh, decisions being taken by Northern Hemisphere powers uh, without real uh, commitment to their their interests and concerns. Let's talk nuclear waste. My memory, I can see this huge nuclear waste dome that the Americans built, which uh, I understand has been leaking. On Runit Island, which is an island in uh, the atoll of Eniwetok in the Marshall Islands, um, there was a massive bomb crater. And at the end of the nuclear testing conducted in the Marshalls, Uh, The Americans used that uh, crater as a dumping site for a whole range of low- and mid-level radioactive contaminated material, Uh, you know, all sorts of things um, from ground soil to equipment and so on, was buried in in, uh, the crater and covered with an enormous concrete dome um, that was built in the 1970s and is still there today. But anyone who's (laughs) built things with concrete knows that it doesn't last forever. And there's great concern from the successive governments in the Marshall Islands that the Runit Dome is leaching radioactive isotopes into the marine environment. Um, once again, as with the question about compensation for health, uh, there's a real concern that the United States is not taking up its responsibility um, for the cleanup, the compensation uh, and, uh, and reparations 
um, for the problem that they created uh, as part of their national security policies. Nick, I learned from you that the under the dome, there may be waste from as far away as Nevada and possibly Australia. I think it's important to, to think about this as a, a connected system. Uh, as you mentioned, the uh, United States did nuclear tests in the deserts of Nevada, um, near to Las Vegas, and there's been a strong campaign by people who are dubbed downwinders uh, who've recently uh, sought uh, ongoing compensation for health effects from uh, the tests uh, in uh, the Nevada desert and New Mexico desert uh, going back uh, to the end of the Second World War. But the Marshall Islands tests were much more numerous and much more uh, destructive um, because the Marshall Islands was out of sight. And this is the British tradition as well. Uh, they looked to the uh, waters of Australia, uh, the deserts of South Australia, um, the islands of uh, Christmas and Malden Island in what was then the British Gilbert and Ellis Islands colony because they were seen as empty spaces. But they weren't empty. They were Indigenous peoples and, of course, military personnel who were directly affected by that time. Many are now ageing or dead, um, but their descendants are very worried about potential intergenerational effects. And that's why the Runit Dome uh, issue is still a hot topic and is on the agenda of the uh, Pacific Islands Forum, the main regional intergovernmental organisation. That image of the dome corroding away, it also has an echo, of course, in the uh, the dome they built at Chernobyl. Now, in French Polynesia, the people were also misinformed, well, lied to about uh, possible health implications of the tests by the French. Has there been any compensation from the French for the 30 years of testing? The French government finally has buckled and started a compensation process. Famously, during the uh, era of nuclear testing at Mururoa and Fangatofa, visiting politicians used to dive into the lagoon to show that the tests were safe, were clean, supposedly. Um, but uh, many people in French Polynesia, like in the Marshalls, have health problems, cancers, so leukemias, and other serious illnesses attributed to exposure to hazardous levels of ionising radiation. Um, in 2010, uh, France passed a law to set up a CIVEN, that's uh, the initials for a compensation commission for nuclear survivors. It's been widely criticised, though, despite the step forward on, uh, on setting up a compensation process. In the first five years of operation, only 2% of claims were approved, and that was for both French soldiers and sailors who'd staffed the test sites, civilian scientists, but also the thousands of Maui workers, Polynesian workers, who'd worked there as truck drivers, as divers, as customs officers, and so on. Um, so once again, there have been steps towards um, compensation and recognition that there is a problem, but there's too little money put into these systems, and they are too bureaucratic and complex, uh, and many secrets are still hidden in the archives, indeed buried in the archives, um, about... Uh, what was involved during that time. But that you, but you also say that some documents are being released. The French have just begun a process at the end of 2022 after campaigning by uh, many Maui politicians and community groups uh, to declassify documents about the French nuclear testing era. 
Um, there are problems about access. Those documents are spread across about 18 sites in France, um, the Atomic Energy Commission, the military, uh, other institutions involved in 30 years of nuclear testing. And so if, you, if you're in Tahiti, it's very difficult to access documents that might uh, provide evidence or information that you require. So um, there are steps in that direction about opening up. You know, this all happened in the 20th century, and here we are a quarter of the way through the 21st century, and this is still a dispute. And it's also angering Pacific Islands um, leaders at this week's um, Pacific Islands Forum to be held in Rarotonga, uh, Cook Islands. Um, there's a lot of concern about uh, uh, the fact that the, not only are there historic nuclear threats, but um, Australia is now planning to buy nuclear submarines. Japan is uh, uh, dumping uh, treated nuclear wastewater um, from the Fukushima reactor into the Pacific. That's a reactor originally fueled by Australian uranium. Um, the nuclear issue is still a live issue, even though governments are obviously more concerned about climate change. Now, what about in Kiribati where the British did their testing? And I know this is a particular area of interest for, uh, for you. I lived in Fiji for a number of years and during that time worked with a number of the Fiji soldiers and sailors who'd witnessed the nine British tests of the hydrogen bomb. After the UK conducted atomic tests in Australia, even the Menzies government, which had approved without cabinet approval, parliamentary approval, the atomic tests at Maralinga at Emu Field at Montebello, they went off to Kiribati, what's today Kiribati, and uh, set off nine weapons. There were New Zealand, Fijian, and Kiribati participants, as well as the British troops, some 14,000 British troops involved in that whole exercise. And uh, I wrote a book uh, with colleagues in Fiji seeking uh, to document the history of the Fijians who'd been there. And uh, in 2017, and published a second book called Grappling with the Bomb, which outlines once again the health and environmental legacies of these uh, British tests. Britain, unlike the Americans and the French, hasn't got a compensation scheme set up. And it's a, a hot political issue today um, with uh, British veterans campaigning actively in London. Nick, is there any way of knowing how many people got or, or are still getting sick after the test in the Pacific? It's impossible to, to determine, partly, of course, because uh, the particular era of atmospheric testing carried radio fallout across the region um, and, indeed, around the bottom of the Southern Hemisphere. Um, the, uh, there was a series of experiments at that time, one infamously called Project Sunshine, which looked at the fallout of strontium-90, a radioactive isotope that um, uh, can get into the food chain uh, and uh, cause problems. Uh, you know, and the British, the British collected 20,000-odd um, samples from Australia and uh, Papua New Guinea, which were taken back to London um, for uh, analysis about the level of strontium-90 that affected populations. There are some quite detailed studies, however, about um, uh, particular health impacts. For example, French Polynesia, where there were 193 French tests, has one of the highest rates of thyroid cancer in the world. And there's a, a, a French scientist, uh, Florent de Vater, who's done uh, a lot of detailed analysis um, checking how much of that uh, high rate of thyroid cancer can be attributed to uh, exposure to radiation from the nuclear testing. 
Um, so it's, a once again, a contentious issue. Um, many uh, government scientists say, oh, yes, there was some fallout, uh, particularly, say, for pilots who collected samples flying through the mushroom cloud, but they're pretty much safe. Um, obviously, the people living with leukemia, with cancer, with other health problems don't agree. And uh, there's ongoing battles for compensation amongst the ageing cohort of participants from this 20th century. Well, you've, you've expressed concern about uh, intergenerational effects too, haven't you? Many children and indeed grandchildren are um, concerned um, about the effects uh, and it's a, a cultural one as much as a physical one. Um, when I interviewed uh, the Fijian soldiers and sailors who participated in the British tests, many of them were fearful that health problems uh, that their children were having were related to their time as uh, uh, workers on the nuclear test sites. Um, there's a, a concern, uh, say, in Japan for the Hibakusha. Um, many couldn't get married because people didn't want to marry a nuclear survivor. So there's a whole range of effects, some real, some perceived, uh, that continue. Um, and uh, I think that's where there's an ongoing anger and indeed angst in the Pacific about the nuclear spread. We live in a time where uh, all the major nuclear weapons powers are building up their nuclear arsenals. And that doomsday clock is ticking ever closer. Now, I suppose there's one good thing that came out of it, and that is that the uh, the Nuclear Free Pacific campaign did bring the Pacific Islands together. Absolutely. And one of the great achievements of the Pacific Islands Forum at the height of the US-Soviet arms race was the development of the Treaty of Rarotonga, uh, signed in 1985, which established a South Pacific nuclear-free zone, um, and uh, that will be uh, commemorated uh, at the Pacific Islands Forum this month in uh, in Rarotonga, in Cook Islands. Um, it was part of a wider move right across the South Pacific, uh, sorry, the Southern Hemisphere, um, to build nuclear weapons-free zones. Antarctica uh, was the first, then Latin America, the Tlatelolco Treaty in 1967. Today, there's treaties for Southeast Asia, for um, Africa as well, the Palindaba Treaty. The whole of the land area of the Southern Hemisphere is covered by nuclear weapons-free zones, and uh, it's an important building block towards nuclear disarmament and, indeed, nuclear abolition. So it's good that the Pacific Islanders are still very active in campaigning on nuclear issues. Well, today, the, the, the focus of that is support for the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. This was uh, the new Nuclear Ban Treaty, which entered into force in 2021. It's an important treaty because it calls not for arms control, but for abolition of nuclear weapons. And it provides for the first time uh, an obligation on parties to the treaty to provide assistance to nuclear survivors. So across Oceania, from Aboriginal communities in South Australia, to the people of the Marshalls, to Maui politicians in French Polynesia, they see this Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons is a major step forward. And indeed, 10 members of the Pacific Islands Forum, Aotearoa, New Zealand, and nine island states have already signed and ratified the treaty. And they're calling on Australia, the Albanese government, to fulfil its pledge under ALP policy to similarly sign the treaty. At the end of November, there's a meeting of states' parties in New York where this will be discussed, and Pacific Islands are pushing very hard uh, to get Australia on board for this uh, global initiative. 
So the Pacific Leaders Forum is taking place in Rarotonga this week. You will be attending? I'm there as a journalist reporting for Islands Business Magazine. Um, It's an annual summit. It brings together uh, presidents and prime ministers from Australia, New Zealand, 14 independent island states and uh, two French territories, New Caledonia, French Polynesia. Indeed, this year is the first time that there's a pro-independence president of French Polynesia. After elections earlier this year, Moatai Brotherson took up the presidency and the independence party, Tavini Huiratira, has a majority in the Assembly of French Polynesia. <laughs> Just the other day, they uh, in September, they passed a resolution supporting TPNW. Now, they can't sign it. They're still a French colony. But it was a pointed message to Paris that this issue isn't going away. Nick, thanks for that. That's a a fascinating contribution. I've been talking to Nick McLennan. He's a journalist in the Pacific Islands. He's a a correspondent, as he said, for Islands Business Magazine and is the author of Grappling with the Bomb, which is a history of British nuclear testing in Kiribati. Thanks, Nick. Thank you very much, Philip. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.